0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based preaching resource designed to ask the provocative question of whether and how politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Raj Patta and I'm a minister in the United Stockport Circuit of the Methodist Church and each week I'm joined by a guest from different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. Today, I'm very pleased to introduce my guest, who is Sharmara Fletcher. She is the Principal Officer for Pentecostal and charismatic and multicultural relations at Churches Together in England. And Sharmara also steers the Churches Together in England's Racial Justice Working Group. She's a dynamic millennial leader with significant experience in community organizing, ecumenical engagements, and leadership. So it is such a delight having Sharmara this morning with me.
1: Hi, Raj. It's great to be here.
0: Yeah, hi, <laughs> Sharmara. Thank you very much for joining us this uh, for this episode, uh, where where we look forward to hearing you and this conversation on the text for this week. Uh, uh, so, Sharmara, just so politics in the pulpit. Mm-hmm. I wonder what does that means for you, and could you tell us a little more about yourself? and whether you whether or not you see yourself as a pulpit politician?
1: (laughs) Oh, that's such a a (laughs) good question. I think politics naturally infiltrates the pulpit because politics govern who we are, our lives, our everyday experiences. So when you're then delivering, you know, the word and proclaiming the gospel on the stage and you're ministering to people, politics has affected their lives. And I know some people will say, you know, oh, we shouldn't bring politics on the public, but it in on the pulpit, but in my opinion, it's inevitable mm, because mm. politics forms our lives. So would I say that I'm a um a pulpit politician? <laughs> I would yeah. say I'm a pulpit social justice warrior, maybe. Um, mm. and yeah, I would own that title because as I said, politics shapes our everyday life. So it does yeah. infiltrate when I'm speaking. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I mean, thanks, Sharmara. I mean, you're bringing in that edge of social justice onto the pulpit, which is the need of the air and that's the gospel. That's how the gospel compels us mm-hmm. to see how we articulate the faith in Jesus Christ in the context of social justice for our times today. So, Sharmara, from your context, then what would you want us to hear as some key justice and political issues and events uh, in from your context?
1: Yeah, so I guess... Um... From my context, I'll start there and then go on to the key justice issues. So for me, um, growing up, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. My grandfather was a pastor, my dad's a bishop. So the proclamation of the gospel has been something that has been there from the womb. If you want, I've I've grown around it. It's what I know. Um, And then if I fast forward to my early 20s, I then spent some time um, in a Catholic monastic community and Mm. then within the Anglo-Catholic Church, within the Church of England. So I would say that my pulpit ministry or my background is quite ecumenical. Mm. Um, So when I'm on the stage, I have that Pentecostal dynamism of the the Holy Spirit, but then the monastic community has given me an incarnational view of community and how we live that out. And then I guess Mm. the Anglo-Catholic tradition has given me real reverence for the altar, communion, you know, living together, contemplation and silence. So Mm. I would say on the pulpit, there's a strong emphasis on ecumenism, on, you know, community, what it means to live and dwell together. And also looking out for those hidden voices, the Mm. unlikely leaders, you know, the Rahabs, the Peters, who are chosen as Jesus' first disciple. um, You know, he's a simple fisherman. I don't think he would have smelt or looked the part. Mm. You yeah. know, so so yeah, I, I love
0: picking out those those voices really. Mm. I'm really good, uh, Shamara, That that multiple belonging and that ecumenical heritage which you bring in to the pulpit really enriches in our thinking. And we are really looking forward uh, to have a conversation with you on the text this week. Uh, mm-hmm. Each week, I ask my joint public issues team colleagues for a little roundup of from their expertise and what they think we might want to be keeping an eye on the world this week. And some of their suggestions uh, are are that the Chancellor's Spring Statement has been widely criticized for not doing anything to help those in poverty. And the Resolution Foundation have predicted as many as 1.3 million more people may be drawn into poverty as a result of the cost of living crisis. And the Joint Public Issues Teams uh, on the website, there is a blog, unpacking why the statement was so disappointing. And for our for our listeners, they can uh, browse this blog on the Joint Public Issues Team's website. And also mm-hmm. temperatures, the North and South Poles were abnormally high last week, recorded at 30 degrees and 40 degrees warmer than the average for this time of year. Again, bringing that ecological perspectives and conversations. And the Afghan girls have been barred from attending secondary school, despite assurances from the Taliban that they would be allowed. So the announcement came just before the term was due to begin, meaning many children were turned away at the school gates in tears, having been excited Mm -hmm. to learn. And there's also a regional divide in energy bill increases, with the BBC reporting people in some regions are facing their payments doubling, while with others facing a rise of less than 60%. So that poverty and energy inequality that we see. The P&O ferries, the controversy is continuing as PO and sacked their employees to hire underpaid staff. So The government are looking for push through legislation to ensure that all ferries operating from UK ports pay at least the minimum wage. And there has been a school's uh, paper this from the Department of Education with targets to drive up maths and English standards to address the number of children leaving primary school unable to read and write. And again, the global context of Ukraine, we cannot forget. Mm -hmm. Quotes are growing about the attacks on hospitals and abductions from Russian-controlled areas. Many women and children fleeing the conflict are also vulnerable to sex traffickers who are exploiting the situation. So there is so much happening uh, around the world uh, in which we live today. And we, we will be stepping into the fifth Sunday in Lent in the church calendar. And so with everything happening, so, this metaphorical usage of having now opened the newspapers. Now, if we have to open our word, the scriptures, and see how can we relate the word of God with the world in which we live today. So, I wonder if there is a particular passage or a particular theme or a question that has jumped out for you this week from the readings. And uh, you, if you would like to start us with.
1: Yes, um Oh, gosh, there's, so much has jumped out to me. And as you said about the political issues that are going on around the world, you know, we forget also the racial climate that we're in, you know, with Child Q, um, who was unfortunately strip searched while she was menstruating, and also the racism in the borders of the Ukraine. So, you know, just to highlight that racial element um, as well. But yes, in terms of, of the scriptures from the lectionary, um, yeah, there was a running theme. For me, actually, that came through all four readings, and that was a sense of a Kairos moment, you know, a cultural epoch, a season of transition. Um, and each passage really revealed to me the tension of the past and the present. You know, in the Isaiah reading, we see a theme of transition. You know, the people of Judah are in bondage from the Babylonian Empire, and they are being promised freedom from the prophet. Then when i looked at the philippians reading we see that paul is having a deliberation about his former life and who he will be in the future then when i looked at the john reading um you know you see this tension again of lazarus we're in a context of raising lazarus from the dead and then jesus is now preparing for his burial so we see this tension again of of the, the present to the future and then of course in the psalms 126 reading we see a promise of how things were before, and a plea from the people for God to return them there. So yeah, I just saw this real sense of of the kairos and and what does it mean to have two different time periods. And I guess the thing that really stuck out for me was the question in um, Isaiah's reading, Behold, I do a new thing, do do you not perceive it? And I thought, you know, if you're asking a question, question, it can suggest, that we can really miss the new things that God is doing in the community, in the church, in society. You know, we can really cling onto old methods and ways of doing things instead of the refreshing God who's always pushing us into the future. Um, but then I was struck again because I said, hold on, this is there's an oxymoron going on here. Because at the beginning of the text, it's saying, remember what I did in Exodus, remember what I've done um, to take you out. But then we get later in the text, it says, forget the former things. So I was just like, okay, which one is it? <laughs> do, do we hold on? Do we remember the great things or, or do we let them go? But as I, as I thought about it more, I think what the text is reminding us, yes, look to the past. Yes, respect the legacy. But that legacy legacies to support us into a bright future not to be nostalgic and stuck in the old days and and this is really relevant for our time because we've just come out of a pandemic you know as a church as a community as a society do we go back to the good old days do we go back to our comfort zone or is god challenging us to do things differently in a new world in a new context with new people
0: yeah profound profound i mean i like that moment where you are saying this defining God's time, God's moment, God's appointed time and it is now and I like the way you are trying to hold these paradoxes of the memory, remembrance and the future and bringing to the present. So I think as you have rightly said the Isaiah text in the context of exile and for them the memory of how God journeyed with them and the future to where God is going to take them and where they are. So how how do you see from this text of holding these in in intention, the memory, the future and the present? You know, what I'm saying is the former things, the new things and the present things. So how do we weave all of these together for our time? What is that kairos moment that you are are,
1: uh, challenging us? Okay, yes, um, I hear you now. Yes, so I think it's about legacy. You know, at the moment, we're having a lot of intergenerational conversations. Um, A lot of millennials, Gen Zs are saying, you know, we want to start leading things in the church. We want to start shaping things for our context and our time. So, so much zeal. But we need to couple that with the experience of the pioneers and those ahead of us who have, who have been doing this walk, who have been in leadership, who have taken um, the hits of being in leadership in church ministry. So I think it's about having genuine conversations. It's about respecting legacy, but not being here. And it's about having passion for the future and zeal, but understanding that we need experience. And sometimes that tension happens in the present. And change happens in that middle space of looking at the past. What do we do um, for the future? And I think that's, that's sometimes where change takes place. So
0: you want to hold those two together, that, that yes. create, creative tension, and then try to see how to make a difference in the world. I also like uh, how Isaiah is writing, where he brings in the wild animals and he says, They will honor me. And uh, I mean, the, the writer also said, I, after I give water in the wilderness, reverse mm-hmm. the to give drink to my people, so the, the people whom I form for myself, so that they might declare my praise. So, in a way, Isaiah is trying to say, what is the ultimate purpose? The purpose yes. is for praise. But how would he that bring bringing in the a symbiosis between the ecology, the plant, the animals, the people, the water, the desert. So, th- that looks for me that into
1: that hope of these new things definitely and you know even as i was looking at the text you know the narrative is even revealing something to us because when you look at the exodus story he took them out of the sea we see the opposite i'll take you out of the desert you know i'll make a way in the wilderness you know they came out of a city so here we see even the narrative is showing us that god does new things he might he might take different things from a similar context, but do it in a different way. You know, oftentimes we hear in different circles, God doesn't change. Maybe his ideology doesn't change, but the method, he has creative license, poetic license, if you want, um, to do things differently for his glory, to connect with us as human beings. So even how the text, the narrative um is showing us that tension between the old of, old and the new and different ways of doing a similar thing no, yeah
0: i mean there is no one one set template one size fit for all because no. God is creative and god wants to work creative and therefore god does creatively in, in god's own time allowing each generation each people in history uh, to do things differently but in, mm. in all this uh, isaiah is saying in verse 21 of chapter 43 So that they may declare my praise so how do we understand Mm -hmm. praise in the context of the politics uh, and in the context of the public sphere today sorry i didn't hear that last bit so i'm asking if the purpose is to declare god's praise Mm -hmm. so how do we understand praise today in the context of our secular public sphere
1: okay um well i think with praise we do that from a posture of knowing what God has done, you know, worship we worship because of who God is. But praise, I think that's an active choice. It's an active step of faith. And in our political climate and arena today, whatever side of the political fence you sit, I think most would agree, there is an anxiety at the moment. You know, there, there's a lot of invulnerability in the Western system um, of how the world is run. We, we see in these war in Ukraine, We've seen, as you said, some of the social justice issues about the rise of cost of living, electricity bills, you know, Brexit, pandemic, there's a social anxiety at the moment, but but how do we find the energy, the hope, you know, to give praise? And, And we see this in the Isaiah reading, because these are the people who are in bondage. They're in a Babylonian empire regime. All that they have known has been stripped. They are vulnerable. They're in a climate of anxiety. Yet God is encouraging them to praise. And sometimes we praise by remembering the things that God has done. But again, as I said before, not to keep us in nostalgia, but to springboard us into a hope, into a future that God will move again. And I think in our context, in the 21st century, what's happening around us globally, I think we need to take the advice of the prophet. Let us mm-hmm. remember what God has done in previous wars, in previous pandemics, how he's brought society forward. You know, how can we take hope from that and praise God that he'll do it again?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, the way you said praise as a posture and bringing in social anxiety, remembering what God has done, but yes. as a springboard for future, so that along with God, we strive to make things new and to make a change, a transforming world in our, in our places, wherever we are. So that, that takes us to the epistle lesson from Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Philippians text, uh, mm-hmm. chapter 4, where Paul is saying about the gains he has gained in life. But yet, the gains that he has got in his life, but yet when he comes to Christ, mm-hmm. because of this, he, he takes all these gains to be at loss. yes how how do we understand this again this paradox if it was i mean memory and future in in isaiah's text this is about gain and loss Mm,
1: mm, mm. you know it's it's, it relates to that classic scripture about you know to to die is christ Mm. um and to live is gain, and it goes into what i said before Paul shows us that we cannot solely put our confidence and trust in earthly accomplishments and achievements. It's, well, it's not enough. We are see as I said before, there's the social anxiety, our banking systems, our economics, our politics. You know, we're seeing the brute force of military power, even in Ukraine and what's happening with um, Russia. Those things are not enough. You know, Paul says, "I I was, um, you know. He was the learnt of the learnt, if you want. You know, he was the P- he was the professor of his time. He had the PhD of PhDs, you know. Um, and he says, actually, it wasn't enough. I count it as loss. Mm. And it's that tension again. I, and I could imagine his struggle. You know, imagine going from that high rank." that high status um, Mm -hmm. in his former life, to now being an apostle, (laughs) homeless, tent-making. You know, you persecuted the church, so people don't necessarily trust you. You know, in Mm -hmm. every epistle, he's introducing who he is. I was like, okay, is there an anxiety there? Why are you Mm -hmm. always introducing yourself in this way? But for him to say that suggests his new life and Mm -hmm. where he's pressing towards Hmm. it's better than than putting trust in earthly gains yeah profound profound fear, Mother. i
0: mean that's what uh, paul is encouraging us and i'm sure our listeners as they listen to this conversation they will they will take note that all the gains that we have is is not enough because yeah. christ is inviting us to join with him in in making a change for our world and i, I also like where paul is saying in verse 10. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the sharing of His sufferings by becoming like Him in His death. So, what mm-hmm. does becoming like Christ in His death today mean? So, how do we how do we uh, relate with the crucified communities
1: around us? Today? Mm. Oh, you know, sometimes when I look at that, I'm saying, was Paul being an idealist there? especially in the question, people who are actually going through persecution today, um, you know, for the faith, persecuted Christian communities, is that more easier said than done? You know, us here in the West being able to have a conversation about faith, you know, that will be put on YouTube, that that's the liberty that that we have. But then I can trust Paul because he went through that persecution himself, you know, we see him being ship, shipwrecked. Um, he gets bitten by a snake. So I think, I, as I said, I trust him because he's actually been through it, mm. and he's able to relate to it. So I think for those who are persecuted, for those who are suffering across the world, we have to reach out to them. We have to build community. We have to build connection with them where we can. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I would say. I would say to that. I think it can come across idealistic, but because he went through it himself, as reads in 21st century, you can probably trust it more. Right, and that that experience
0: is what you are. That experience of how how we pitch this tent among the crucified communities in solidarity, building building that trust, confidence is is a key. I mean, as I was reading this text, I was thinking. I mean, in terms of Christians, there are there are several kinds of Christians. One is, most people think because we believe in Christ, you become Christians. There are some people who you belong to a church, therefore you are Christians. Mm. But I think Paul is challenging us. If you become like Christ in the death and in the suffering and in that resurrection experience of Christ, that makes us profound followers of Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, it's not just it's not just enough to say believing or belonging to a, a church. But it is more like becoming like uh, becoming and behaving like Christ, what I think God is uh, challenging in this reading uh, in Philippines.
1: And it's so countercultural, isn't it? It it You know, there's nothing glorious about having the most shameful death hanging on a cross, Mm. it's so otherworldly. You know, again, the text is showing us that contrast, all the things the world sees as excellent, education, status, power, privilege, you know, to then dying <laughs> a shameful death. You know, being part of, at the time, would have been seen a cult sect community. You know, it, it re- the text is really showing us what maybe God or Christianity, Jesus sees as success is so countercultural. So when people are now sacrificing that to follow Christ, it has to be because they've had an encounter. know, <laughs> yes. it has to be something deeper for you to sacrifice the things that give you accolade in the world. Yeah,
0: yeah, right. And and I think that countercultural followers of Jesus Christ is is what we are called towards. And I'm yes. sure to our listeners this week, whoever are preaching, will, will emphasize that our calling as followers of Jesus Christ is to be countercultural trying to make a difference and seeing that all the games that we have are a loss because of Jesus or in the sight of Jesus and we join with Christ in, in making the world a better place. But I think that uh, takes us to the gospel reading from John chapter 12. Yes. There Jesus of Mary and Martha's home and then the perfume. So what is your what is your take on the gospel reading?
1: Um. Sorry, um uh, you could...
0: sorry, I'm I'm just asking like w- what what is your understanding on the gospel reading this week from John chapter 12?
1: Okay. Yes. Um, you know, again, that was the context of Lazarus has just been raised from the dead, and there was two points in that um, gospel reading that struck me. Firstly, was the busyness of Martha. Mm. Oftentimes we can be busy for God and not have relationship and intimacy with God. And different traditions um, will understand that differently. But it is so easy to do, particularly those who are in Christian leadership. You know, you're doing programs, you're putting on events, there's discipleship. um, But then we can become burnt out. The joy of the Lord um, loses its strength in our lives because we're so tired. So to see that contrast between Mary and Martha, And, you know, later in the text, we see that um, Jesus commends Mary for anointing his feet um, over Martha, who is busy getting everything ready and doing the right things. But sometimes we have to ask ourselves as Christians, what is our priority? What is taking our time? And are we building relationship and intimacy with God? But I think the thing that struck me the most somewhat relates, I guess, to my context around homelessness was Jesus's rebuke. To Judas, um, and then he says, "You will always have the poor amongst you." Now, this statement oftentimes made me feel very uncomfortable, um, especially when working with homeless Christians and those who are experiencing extreme marginalisation. You know, I'm like, is there any point in this? Then, will this ever be solved? Are we wasting our time? But the more i started to explore this statement and work with homeless christians i realized you know is this because people will always have mental health issues or money mismanagement issues or is it because society will always choose capitalist gain over the provision and flourishing of all is it because jesus actually knew the greed and self-centeredness and the nature of of humanity in its lowest form and which influences people to sleep in on our streets, you know, is this why we have so much unaffordable housing or land banking of properties that are empty for the land to gain its value? You know, is there poor amongst us because of the breakdown and the social disease within our society? And then the common good comes into this now, because that as a solution, because that's a new world of possibility. And it actually helps us to replace the old selfishness of private good and extreme individualism to common good of all. You know, we hear about this market ideology, private individualism, capitalism, money over people. And and that really does feed into why we have homeless people on the streets today. You know, I think that question also talks to our government policy, you know, we say we, we care about the homeless, but do our policies reflect that, I mean, you know, do is- we reflect that we care about the least in our communities, are we voting for these policies, are we voting for governments that form policies like this? So yeah, that's what I would say. That that really struck me. The poor will always be amongst you. Is that their fault or society's fault? Yeah, yeah.
0: I think this is one of those one of those texts of terror that invites us to really understand, as you are rightly saying, why poverty. What are the reasons for poverty? And it is this uh, social making because of the extreme greed of some people. There is this imbalance. No sharing of resources, and therefore we see so, so much poverty around us, and poverty is increasing by leaps and bounds with all the all the factors that we have today. But but what is this? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ in such a context? Like in a way, Jesus was rebuking Judas. So what is the what is the gospel, political gospel of this text for our times today? Yes,
1: well, it's so funny because in Judas's when Jesus rebukes Judas, you know he's saying, "Why don't you give that oil to the poor?" For me, it reveals the hidden motives in some of our social justice agendas as well. You know, clearly he's not concerned for the poor. The scriptures tells us that he pockets the money. Um, again, that greed. So that character symbolizes that capitalist ventures, if you want but what it also made me think about is sometimes the liberal elite who speak on behalf of the poor often so that they have a platform to speak how do we empower those who are poor who are homeless who are marginalized to speak for themselves and not use their plight as an opportunity for our voice and i think that the, the character of Judas and jesus calling out that really really spoke into a social disease, I call again, that we sometimes see in our modern-day society.
0: Yeah, yeah. So maybe as I hear from you, what you're saying is the political context of this text is to rebuke those who are greedy and trying to bring in a polarization, equality based on uh, based on the riches and wealth. So I think the calling for us as followers of Jesus is to to, to call out. People who are greedy, because if Jesus has come to give, bring good news to the poor, most times I think it is bad news to the rich. And I think, <laughs> as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be bold and courageous in translating that gospel to say Jesus' Jesus's gospel is to bring good news to the poor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, this, this also uh, sometimes people argue that Christian ministry and politics should not be concerned with the alleviation of material poverty or redistribution of wealth, uh, or that our focus should be introducing people to Jesus instead. So yet this seems out of step with the holistic understanding of the mission and God's plan to renew and restore all things. Mm-hmm. So how do we resolve this tension? People who who argue saying we, we shouldn't couple Christian ministry and politics, or alleviation, or I mean redistribution of
1: wealth and gospel, Okay. Um, okay. So I think it's almost okay. So you, what you're asking is, how do we resolve tension between people who say we should just preach the gospel and not be concerned about social matters? Okay. Um, so, so as I said at the beginning, we are social beings. We live in a society. Politics shapes and influences our life our access to resources and the quality of our life. So how does the gospel then fit into that? You know, we see all throughout the scriptures, he says, you know, don't preach to people until you feed them. You know, when Jesus is about to speak, he fed the 5,000, then delivered the sermon because they're hungry. You know, the real question there is why are they hungry? Why are there 5,000 people who are hungry? So we see all throughout the scripture that Jesus addresses these social issues, you know, Jesus had a state death, that's as political as it gets. You know, we see even from the beginning um, of scripture, it starts in a garden, we end up in Revelation in a city. So we see this progression of society, of human infrastructure that God, for some unknown reason, I always ask myself this, (laughs) um, chooses to operate in. Mm. And has given us delegated responsibility, you know, to have dominion and, rule. and we, we we might not get into all of that talk because I know there's debate around what that means as well. But I don't think it's possible to separate the gospel when the gospel is for human life. Yeah. And to and to make human life flourish. Mm. And you can't separate human flourishing from politics. Mm.
0: Yes, I mean, you have rightly said that human gospel is for, I mean, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for creation and for the life, for the the flourishing of life. And maybe John chapter 12 verses 1 to 8, the calling for us is some gospel should be used as a caution, as a, a warning for people to see if we are not really sharing the resources. So how do we contest greed and how do we contest these inequalities and polarizations? And then also it is a it is a call for us to see that Jesus' is coming into this world is for the flourishing of for flourishing of life in, in God's creation. And we, we are called to join with Jesus in in that flourishing, in that in an equal society, a just society where everyone can are treated equally. So I think that is a calling as I see from this text. Uh, Sharma, Sharmara, we have questions from our listeners, and this week. Matt is asking a question. How is I mean basically from this text? How is Jesus Jesus saying you will always have the poor among you? Heard through the ears of those experiencing poverty? How might we understand this comment differently by reading it through their eyes?
1: So you're asking how would it be for somebody who's living living in poverty to read that? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, I think it'd be I think it could be very discouraging, to be honest. Mm. You know, I think, if you're reading that from that place and position, is that like, okay, is there ever a way out for me, particularly, if it's mm. systems, um, and policies that have put you in that mm. position over your personal responsibility? I think it could also though, be a challenge. Mm. I think it could also be a challenge to say, actually i don't need to stay in this place and why do i say that we look at um the man who had a withered arm and jesus says stretch out your hand now jesus could have gone to his withered arm and just healed him Mm. but actually there's a participation that takes place there's an agency that takes place and sometimes what i found particularly within the homeless community that sense of self has died and sometimes what god wants to do is heal that sense of self so that you can then participate in mainstream society so i think it could be um of a, a hopelessness but also a challenge but i i don't negate that it could be a difficult to read it
0: is it is indeed difficult to read because you say the poor are always among you so it is it is difficult to read but as you say it is also a challenge it is also an invitation i mean participate with jesus in trying to address issues of poverty and i think there cannot be any more better reason for us as christians if we can translate and join with jesus in in addressing these issues of social justice for our times in our context. so Sharmara, thank you very much sorry could i say
1: one more thing on that as well um because i wouldn't want it to come across that it's just the personal responsibility of those who are poor as well society has a responsibility I think that's a question. As I said earlier, I think that's also a question to policymakers. Mm. It's a question to those who are creating laws Mm. that um, affect homeless people Mm. in our localities. It's a question to local councils. Mm. It's a question to hostel providers. Um, So I think it's both and. Yeah, it
0: is. It is. I mean, so what you're inviting is that as followers, we need to challenge our policymakers. Yes. to see to it that they they make people friendly policies so that people
1: before the program yeah yeah
0: and 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 therefore uh that is a challenge and i'm sure our listeners will take note of that where we you are challenging us to challenge people who are making decisions policies and see to it that we all together strive and work in order to make a better place make our places a better place to live where justice and peace will flow like an ever-flowing stream so thank you very much. Thank you very much, Shermara, for, for coming on and for sharing your wisdom, uh, reflections with us. I, I'm sure our listeners will found this conversation very enriching and a challenging one this week, particularly as they engage uh, with these questions. So for all our listeners, if you have enjoyed this episode of The Politics in the Pulpit, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast and share this episode with your friends. We know our listeners are knowledgeable and passionate people, and we would love to build a community of mutual learning and encouragement around this podcast. So, if you want to ask questions ahead of each week's episode, you can do that, and the best place for our conversation is on Twitter at pulpit underscore politics, or using the pol- hashtag politics in the pulpit, or on our Facebook community, which you can access through the Joint Public Issues team's Facebook page and their website, jointpublicissues.org. Uh, Each week I leave our listeners with a question and this week my question for all our listeners is what are the gains or privileges that we consider that we are considering it as loss or rubbish in order to gain Jesus Christ in our context today? Let me repeat my question. What are the gains and privileges that we are considering as loss and rubbish in order to gain Jesus Christ in our context today? So let us know your thoughts on Twitter or on our Facebook. Before we end, our listeners may be interested to do again about Joint Public Issues Teams 2022 conference from the ground up, unearthing hope and seeking justice. The tickets are available. Please do uh, book book it on, which is happening on the 11th of June. You can find the tickets on jointpublicissues.org.uk slash conference. So once again, Sharmara, thank you very much for joining us on this episode. So let us, go, let us go into both our politics and into our pulpits with uh, a, a prayer, praying for uh, our situation at this time. So let us pray. God of love, for simple pleasures in the midst of challenge and hardship, for lengthening hours of daylight, for people who lift our burdens, wipe away our tears, share our lives and our dreams, call out our best selves, your faithful presence with us lord you're inviting us to challenge you're inviting us to translate the faith of jesus christ relevant for our times today by engaging and participating in issues of social justice bring healing and hope the shadow of your wings we sing for joy oh lord restore us and make us in jesus name amen amen